everybody, welcome back to Next Gen Politics. It's Olivia. It's Neha. It's Arushi. Today we're going to be doing a Q&A. Um, let's get started. So the first question is whether or not the U.S. should increase the military budget to provide foreign aid. Let's say no. <laughs> yeah, let's say no. I don't think that the military budget should be increased under any circumstances, um, just because it's already, what, 54% of our national budget, something like that. Um, <laughs> I think that it could be reallocated, but I think that in general, um, sticking the U.S. into foreign affairs is never a good idea. Never has good consequences. So, I'd just say no. <laughs> yeah, I agree, especially considering that the fact that the U.S. spends, like, more money on its military budget than the next ten countries combined, like, that's kind of a lot. Also, providing foreign aid when we're not giving money to like places in need in our own country like Flint, Michigan, Puerto Rico after the hurricane, etc. We don't need to consider foreign aid or even increasing spending unless we can cut our military budget and provide aid to our own country. So our next question is about our opinions on the sex strike. Um, I think that it's a horrible idea. It's like a bad plot of a Greek play but adapted to modern times except it also won't work. I'm just... Alyssa Milano is the person I heard about this from. She's just not a great activist, if she wants to call herself that. You know, I'm fine if B-list celebrities want to tweet some, you know, nice stuff about a cause or raise money. Like, that's awesome. Good on you. But she sure likes to kind of stick herself in front of cameras in situations that don't pertain to her. And also, like, she doesn't have any political experience and she's, like, trying to start stuff like that. Like, it just... It seems so inconsequential and um, poorly thought out. I just think that she needs to just kind of step back and let some experienced activists do the work, you know, and she can just amplify their voices. I think she needs to stop trying to be a voice, if that makes sense. This also wouldn't work because the people who make laws are state legislators and they don't care who's having sex with who as long as they get laid, let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's not like the people they're with or engage with or whatever, it's not like they're going to sex strike. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. They're, I mean, the play that this is based on, like the Greek play where all the wives stop having sex with their husbands until they stop having wars or whatever, like, <laughs> the point is is that their wives <laughs> are not having sex with them. The legislators are not affected by this at all. It's just like, I know, it's just some... Cuckoldry. Yeah, Can don't I say control that? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, just don't control your own body in hopes to affect someone who really doesn't care. The whole point is to control women's bodies and, you know, people with uteruses' bodies, you know? It's like, let's restrict ourselves more to get rid of this restriction. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Okay, next question. So the next question is whether or not Beto is still cool. Well, I don't know how you would necessarily define cool or how that's like pertinent to his policies or anything but like it was in 2018 like a lot of people did rally around Beto he was like sort of seen as like this charismatic like Obama 2.0 type person which sort of gave him the cool factor and I mean like he might still have it but it's not really pertinent to whether or not he would make a good candidate yeah I mean like I think that you asking that is kind of a um way to measure or not whether he's cool or not like if he was cool, I don't think you'd have to ask. I mean, if the question is whether he's still cool, 
I know he still skateboards. <laughs> is, <laughs> is that what you want? I don't know. I mean, coolness factor can be a big thing. Like we saw it with Bernie in 2016. Um, people just thought that he was way cooler than Hillary, which he kind of was. Um, Hillary just didn't have the charisma factor, you know? She's not an Obama, you know? She just, she just didn't have that oomph, you know, that a lot of candidates like Beto definitely had. And, um, as Beto had in the Senate election. Yeah, and, like, he may get that back, too. Like, he still gives really good speeches, gets everyone fired up that's there. And I guess we'll just have to see how that plays out once the debates and everything start. But in terms of policy, if that's what this person's getting at, I'm not sure. I mean, his big issues on his website are immigration, reproductive rights, and climate change. And, I mean, I would say those are pretty much at the forefront of what most people that associate with Democrats would care about. So, is he cool? You decide. The next question is our stance on unfriending people in real life because of politics. I think that it's your choice whether or not you want to unfriend someone. I think it's totally acceptable if you feel like that friendship is toxic. Like, cut them off, sure. But, like, it honestly depends on the person, what your political views are, and if political views are important to you. Because some people are like, oh, it doesn't really matter to me. But others are like, if you have this certain political belief, like, we can't be friends. And either one is fine. Yeah, I also do think it's, like, a privilege to not care about politics. But also, it's, like, a personal decision. And you don't have to justify being friends or not being friends with anyone to anybody except yourself. And if you're okay with that, then, like, that's your thing. Do it. Yeah, I think that um, a way you can kind of draw the line is... um, do we have the same goals? The goal should be equality, you know, a livable future, stuff like that. Um, How you reach those goals should be your political um, disparities, I think. But it kind of depends. I mean, like, I have friends who are pro-life. I really disagree with them, (laughs) but, um, you know, I stay friends with them in hopes that maybe I'll change their mind, and also just because they're, like, cool people, maybe, and I just think they're wrong. Like, it doesn't always have to be a political friendship, you know? It can just be because they're funny or you like their company. Like, I know. I just, I just don't think it's that deep, you know? Yeah. So our next question is kind of a two-part, so I'll go favorite 2020 people, and then we can talk least favorite. Tulsi, I think, is all of our favorites. Yeah. Um, <laughs> She's just so good on, like, climate change and, you know, involvement in the Middle East. Like, I just kind of love everything about her platform. (laughs) Yeah, she's very anti-regime change wars, which is a stance that not a lot of people are taking. I think not enough candidates in this race are really looking at foreign policy and, like, military and all that stuff, which I think she's doing a really good job of. Because if we stop these regime change wars, if we, like, cut the military spending, that's what's going to help us, like, domestically improve. And I think that her big policy platforms are just things that we all agree with. Biden, he's running. He's a he's a big neoconservative, you know. He's really into regime change wars. He voted for the war in Iraq. Um, voted for the Patriot Act also. Uh, and he's just... We have a lot of candidates like that that either don't care or are pro, you know, sticking our fingers in, you know, regime change wars, you know, the Middle East, wherever. Just, you know, some neo-colonial BS. So I think that we need to really curb that and vote for a candidate that, you know, says no to that type of thing. I'm not telling you to vote for Tulsi. I'm just telling you 
that she's the best one. <laughs> yeah. And another part of how she views foreign policy is that this would inadvertently reduce the amount we spend on the military significantly. And, like, she served, so she knows, like, it's unnecessary what they're doing and that we're really spreading ourselves out thin and spending a lot of money while doing that. And that can be better allocated to things that she outlines in her platform, like, I don't know, climate change. The amount of money that we spend on foreign wars, that could be used to, like, fix so many things. I mean, like, you know, house the homeless, pay for people's college. It's just, it's so unnecessary, and I think that Tulsi is a candidate who really understands that. Um, I'm sorry we've had, like, a five-minute ad for Tulsi, but, uh, yeah, I think we just agree on her. She's... Yeah, really we cool. love her. Yeah. <laughs> this goes together with this, but our least favorite 2020 candidate? Um, well, Trump, if we're including No, we're going Democrat. Okay, going Democrat. We all Biden. know. We I want to say Biden. Biden, Biden, Biden. He voted for the Patriot Act. He voted for the Iraq War. He, you know, he had that horrible crime bill in the yeah, 90s. The, He's the, just... The Biden Hatch crime bill. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. I can't even... I can't even deal with it. He's just horrible. I mean, if you do five seconds of research into this guy... I mean, Anita Hill. Ugh, I, there's just so many things wrong with him. But I know moderate yeah. Democrats just love the guy. Don't get it. We have to look outside of Joe Biden as Obama's VP and as Joe Biden as, like, former senator, former writer of terrible bills <laughs> and then see that that's not what we want yeah I think it's also a really generational divide like you heard us talk about Tulsi for like a solid five minutes like she's someone who's gonna appeal more to younger people because of like her platform like younger people and older people have like within just Democrats like have so many differing opinions that it's gonna be sort of hard to rally around a candidate and there's so many people out there that do support Joe Biden but, like, he's not our favorite. And, unfortunately, he is leading in the polls significantly. Bernie is second to him, but that's, like, an 18, at least 18-point margin is what, like, the nice polls are saying. Yeah, I mean, he's doing laps around everybody. It's really depressing. <laughs> um, so, yeah. We'll yeah. see how that goes. Yeah, horrible. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, our next question is whether or not we have hope for humanity to be able to reverse climate change. I think that it's possible I will be disappointed in humanity if we don't turn it around, but I will not be surprised. <laughs> yeah, I definitely do have a lot of faith in our, like, generation and, like, the young people, but it's just, like, a matter of time before we have the voting power to, like, take out the baby boomers and stuff, and, you know? That makes it sound like, you know, yeah, taken out. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we kind of are, though. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of it's also just going to depend on 2020 and how that goes, because not only domestic climate policy is going to have a huge impact on that, but also the way we conduct ourselves internationally. I mean, we all heard about Paris when that happened, when we left Paris, and also, like, negotiating with foreign countries like we're not the only country that's emitting carbon like yeah we emit a lot but there's other countries that are too and like if we set this precedent now which we have then it's going to be a lot harder to reverse it even on an international scale yeah and time back to regime change wars there's all the u.s military is one of the world's biggest polluters 
we stop regime change wars, then a lot of that goes away. So I think that like there's dramatic changes in policy that need to be met. Um, if we can get that done, awesome. I will. I really hope that we can. <laughs> yeah, I think we're gonna definitely need someone progressive that's like willing to regulate corporations and check their emissions and reduce like military spending and like it's just a lot of things that are going to play into climate change it's such a huge issue that encompasses so many other things so yeah and also going back to biden again um he his climate change plan this is what he said in the speech he's like the first step on my climate change plan is beat trump and if that isn't the most boomer thing I've ever heard, <laughs> I don't know what is. Like, there are people actually advancing, like, real climate change plans. Like, even Beto, he's, like, fairly moderated-ish, you know? <laughs> and he's, like, I mean, he already has, like, a very extensive climate plan. Change yeah, I mean, you gotta be moderate if you're from Texas, but... Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, even he's doing a lot more for climate change than even I think we expected from him. So I think 2020, people really need to step up on that. Okay, next question. Should voting be mandatory? No. No. <laughs> yeah, not in America for sure. Like, it just sort of goes against the idea of freedom, I guess. And I mean, there are certain people that, like, shouldn't be voting, I guess. But it really just, you can't control people. Like, you can't go up to someone and be like, you have to vote. Like, it's just never going to work. I mean, in Australia, like, the people who don't want to vote just end up drawing funny pictures on their ballots. <laughs> like, I just think that it's unnecessary, and people with votes of value are usually going to vote unless their vote is suppressed. So I think we end voter suppression. It's just, like, it's just going to go up from there, but we definitely shouldn't do mandatory voting. Yeah, and there's certain people who aren't voting now that I'm glad or not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, but, like, on the flip side of that, I think, like, incarcerated people like that incarcerated people voting has been like a whole thing in the news recently and I think that there are a lot of people that were incarcerated that should be allowed to vote but aren't so yeah I think that um to increase the American vote we shouldn't be making voting mandatory but should rather be opening you know people who can't vote in our society up to voting so. yeah we shouldn't make people who don't want to vote vote we need to make people who want to vote and are being suppressed from voting like that's what we want to fix not making people who like don't even care because there's a bunch of people that want to vote but can't yeah all right so our next question is it acceptable for celebrities to run for office i mean if you have the experience i guess so i mean we do see a lot of like international leaders i guess that are celebrities i mean you could consider donald trump a celebrity if you really wanted to like Imran Khan in Pakistan, he is, was a famous cricket player, like, I mean, it exists, but I don't know if it's necessarily the best I, idea. Reagan was, <laughs> he was a oh movie star, so I guess all of the examples of celebrities in office are bad ones, <laughs> so I'm gonna say that I would prefer it if they didn't, but you know what, if you're a celebrity, you have good ideas, you want to make a career change, that's up to you, go right ahead. I do not trust voters to <laughs> think critically about you, but go ahead. <laughs> right. If you meet the requirements to run for office, you run for office. You won't win, but go for it. Yeah, Amal Clooney, she's the one exception. We need her run. We, we need love her run. Yeah. Okay. Isn't she, like, British Lebanese? Yes. Who cares? <laughs> she can still run for Congress if she gets citizenship. She's citizen. Don't the Clooneys America, live in, like, right? Italy, though? 
Do they? Do they? Uh, anyway, this isn't going in there, but... <laughs> okay. So next question is, should citizens take a general knowledge test before voting? In theory, I guess that sounds good, but that just sort of reminds me of all those, like, voter suppression laws from, like, Jim Crow Civil Rights Movement era where they were trying to suppress people from voting, and I think that's just going to be used as a tool to get people that they don't want to vote to not vote. It'll be about as useless as the citizenship test. I mean, like, most citizens probably wouldn't be able to pass it anyway. Yeah, I mean, you gotta think about who's writing these questions. It's going to be the government. And the government doesn't exactly have the best track record when it comes to racism, guys. So It doesn't (laughs) matter which party it is. I don't trust yeah, them. I don't, yeah, I do not trust them. So it's like going to be like gerrymandering 2.0. It's, it'll be horrible <laughs> if we did that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the next question is, what is the most important political issue to us right now? Climate change. Climate yeah. change, yeah. It's basically the existential threat, and it's just getting bigger, so... That's kind of what we need to face first. It's urgent. It is intersectional. It hurts a lot of poor people and a lot of people of color. It's just not a good idea (laughs) to, you know, not treat it like the disaster that it is. Okay, I think that was pretty self-explanatory. Yes. So, the next question is, does America need more moderate or extreme political leaders? Honestly, it just really depends. I mean, moderates, like to have a track record of literally not doing anything, but also people are, like, bipartisanship, but, like, extreme leaders cause a lot of, like, polarization, and I mean, we're not thinking, like, extreme, like, communists or, like, far, like, neo-Nazis, like, we're not, like, not that kind of extreme. We're thinking more, like, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. <laughs> like, if we go more for, like, the Justice Democrats, like, AOC, Bernie, that side, versus, like, where the right's going now, it's is not exactly an even extreme? balance because I mean you think like I was trying to think of extreme conservatives that are like equivalent to the extremes of you know Alexandria and Bernie that are conservative and I was trying to think of some that aren't racist and there just aren't any it's just like Steve King like he's yeah, <laughs> racism has kind of become a part of that extreme right which is yeah. kind of sad well become i mean it's always you know well yeah it's yeah. always been like that yeah it's just i don't think that the sides are exactly equal i'd say that there is no really political change without radicals you know but also you can't have too many because then nothing gets done but also nothing gets done when you have too many moderates it just it depends on the context of this question i guess like do we need a more extreme political leader maybe not in the executive branch but having them in congress is definitely a way to like push legislation one way or the other but then also having like a moderate congress that is willing to work both sides like that could get things done too so it just kind of depends on where these people are what they're doing and who specifically they are so basically we need neither (laughs) (laughs) so take what you will from that okay next up what are qualities of a good political leader? I mean, be a good person, but, like, don't be a pushover. Yeah. I mean, you can't be too good of a person, but you gotta have, like, morals. We were actually talking about this earlier, and we decided that you need to be self-absorbed a little bit to be a politician. Um, yeah, but like, you've gotta have an ego to be like, I can be the president of the United States of America. <laughs> like, come on, you have to have an ego. Yeah. Everyone in public office is a little bit egotistical. I think... I think that's just facts, man. And you gotta, 
you gotta have charisma and I think most importantly you have to be good at grassroots organizing and actually listening to your constituents and you have to be intelligent I intelligent like. yeah I mean there's not really a top three it's just like an accumulation of things that like makes a good person it's just I I don't know how to describe it yeah but like you can't be too nice like you can't be a Jimmy Carter like we love him but like <laughs> yeah yeah he's he's doing great building those houses for exactly <laughs> Okay, next question. Should hate speech legislation exist? I think that hate speech legislation should definitely exist, but we got to make sure that it doesn't encroach too much on the First Amendment because every piece of legislation that you put forth can be used, you know, against its original purpose. Like, and it happens all the time. Yeah, the law is super bendable. For anything to pass, it would have to be super vague. That's just... That's the only way yeah. it's going to pass. It has to be able to use... If it's a positive thing, it has to be able to be used in a negative way. Otherwise, it, like, theoretically would never pass. And also, if... Like, with the whole First Amendment thing, it would obviously... Whatever legislation, like, it would be challenged by the courts. Like, it would... There would be a Supreme Court case in order for us to have, like, sufficient hate speech legislation... And I don't know if that legislation would be necessarily a good thing if it's able to pass the Congress we have now and be upheld by the conservative Supreme Court. Yeah, I, I just don't think that really any infringement on free speech is good. I think that, like, it's necessary to protect people against threats, you know? But beyond that, it gets super vague, and I just really love some free speech, man. Just and if we like. really want to go into it... <laughs> recently like twitter facebook instagram have all been like blocking a bunch of random accounts for no reason like they've i know they've been blocking a bunch of like activist accounts so i mean while also not blocking neo-nazis so it's just been like that's kind of what i see happening with hate speech legislation as well and also i think a ceo of some company i don't remember what said like sorry we can't block this kind of like speech because then it would block the president yeah so go figure <laughs> it's actually really interesting the uh i read a article um about how facebook moderators who are supposed to take down hate speech and child pornography and whatever are getting radicalized by the content that they're saying and so that's why they're taking down the wrong stuff like i remember a while ago I reported an account that had the name something like Gas the Jews, something like that, and I reported it, and Instagram was like, sorry, we didn't see anything wrong with this post, you know? Um, uh, and then um, a lot of, like, Jewish accounts like Bees Against Anti-Semitism and Quarter Water Dreams, um, they just got taken down by Instagram for absolutely no reason. Um, Jewish accounts are having to censor the word Nazi on their posts because... Instagram uses that as criteria to take down a post like it's it's being used by the wrong people and when you add humans into the element it just gets way worse and also like by word things like that never goes well because why are you taking down the word Nazi are like neo-Nazis gonna call themselves that like no yeah I wouldn't think so but who's gonna call them that like everybody else who like knows what they are you have to think about who's going to be doing the moderating it's always humans and humans get radicalized, humans are anti-Semitic, humans are racist, humans are homophobic. Like, you're just not going to have a perfect system, and eventually you're going to be hurting the very people that you're trying to protect. Also, a lot of different, like, posts just stay up that are, like, extremely racist because they're, like, 
funny, like, making fun of, like, Latino people and, like, Asian people has just kind of become, like, a joke and, like, an acceptable joke in the country. So, like, no one sees anything wrong with it ever. So, like, those kind of things stay up all the time. And, like, yeah, that's considered hate, but there's literally no line to prove that or not. Yeah, also in the news recently, there's been that video of, uh, the doctored video of Nancy Pelosi circulating and, like, Facebook refused to take it down. And, like, the president retweeted that, like, it's just, I mean, whatever people want to say, it's it's going to be said, and, like, the wrong people are going to get their message spread, and, I mean, there's kind of nothing we can do about it at this point. The, the internet is a Pandora's box that has already been opened, and I think that it is futile to try and just stuff the monsters back in. I think that you have to do other things to combat it rather than just try and prevent what's already happening and what's going to happen. So the next question is, which Democrats will have the easiest or hardest time to beat Trump? I think at this point it's still too early to really decide. I mean, I think that the white men are obviously going to have an easier time because they get more favorable media attention, and we saw how media attention played a role in the 2016 election. Like, Trump got so much free publicity that, like, honestly, that really could have helped him carry the election, and... I mean, the media tends to be more critical of women, especially women of color, and given the unprecedented amount of women and women of color in this race, I think that they will be having a harder time. Not to, like, discount them in any way, but I just think it's the way the media portrays them. Yeah, and then kind of, and the people that we've seen been getting all the good press from, like, from Democratic news sources, not even from the right wing, it's been, like, Biden, Bernie, Pete Buttigieg now, so it's just, like, that's who our front runners kind of are, are, like Biden and Bernie. And I mean, they may not be our favorite candidates, but that's who it's really looking like now, especially Biden because of those recent polling numbers. Yeah, it's kind of depressing, but it just looks like, you know, if you're white passing, you're going to you're going to have a way easier time and especially I know. if you're a male. Yeah, especially if you're a male and I feel like just on like who would have the hardest time just like spitballing maybe Andrew Yang I guess I mean he's like <laughs> he's like super you know kind of Mike Gravel yeah Mike Mike Gravel would have the uh, I don't know Papa Gravel he's he's a little <laughs> enticing let's be real uh, <laughs> uh let's just move on <laughs> so we have our last question and it's who's gonna win in twenty twenty Trump, Trump. I think that's really obvious to all of us. <laughs> um, I mean, not to be a pessimist, but it just it just looks like he's going to win. I mean, people underestimate how much the public actually likes him. People, people really And like the power guy. of being an incumbent is a lot more than people would like to think. It doesn't matter what you see his approval ratings as, what you read on the, in your social media, everyone, like, trashing him. Like, he has his supporters still. We don't know how, but he still does, and... We can confirm as Southerners that Obama is just was just as controversial as Trump is. Like, I don't think that he would have... I think that he'd have a, a bit of an uphill battle being reelected, but it wouldn't be difficult. <laughs> I mean, obviously controversial for different reasons. Yeah. Elaborating on what Olivia yeah, said. Yeah. For way different reasons. But here in the South, like, you don't hear, I hate Donald Trump a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Unless it's from us. If you hear it, it's probably us. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, as a country, as, like, the world, we're just moving farther and farther, right? We see that in every single election, like, Brazil, India, like, we're just moving farther and farther 
to the right as a, like, as a universe, kind of. It's just, like, Trump... The universe is expanding, actually. Continue. (laughs) It's just, like, Trump has the favorability as much as we want to think he doesn't, and it's going to take a lot of work to get him out of office. Also, after Brexit and Theresa May's exit... (laughs) Tegsit. That rhyme. Um, like... We've been, like, I don't, I haven't been following this super closely, but I've read some stuff about who may take her seat, and, like, even, like, Britain's moving further right, France has moved right, like, everyone's in that direction, and I don't think the U.S. is going to be the country to go the other way. What you, what you get when you invest in a lot of, um, moderate left-wing people, you get a very strong pushback right, and I think if we, we elect something that's somebody that's even (laughs) farther right than Obama was, Joe Biden, we're going to get an equally powerful um, push right, and it's just going to be a vicious cycle of horrible neoconservatism. Yeah, and And if you think about it, like, if we elect someone pretty left, then the Republican mindset is going to be very similar to what the old Democrats is now, which is, I don't care if it's a moderate we need someone on the Republican ticket in office. And that kind of switches the balance of what it is now the other way. Exactly. It's the whole Mike Gravel thing where um, <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like, that's yeah. that's what the kids are trying to do. They're trying to get him, you know, on the stage so that he can be super lefty and push everybody left. We need a very left candidate if we're going to, you know, change the fabric of, uh, of this country. The president is really powerful (laughs) and he's not the only one who's far right i think a lot of people forget that too about trump like it's not just him he's not the first one he's just just so many more (laughs) he's like his like cabinet too like it's full of like warmongering white men like i'm sorry but like that's the truth like congress we need to focus on like legis on the legislative branch and like those elections are going to be equally important like getting mitch mcconnell out getting lindsey graham out like it's not just trump that we need to be worrying about in 2020 Thank you, everybody, for listening to this horribly depressing episode of Next Gen Politics. Um, <laughs> thank you for listening to this Q&A. I hope we answered your question. Um, we did it to the best of our ability. Um, thank you so much. Yeah, and we took all questions on our Instagram page. So if you want to be a part of our next Q&A, go follow us at Next Gen Politics Podcast. And yeah, we'll definitely be looking for more contributions from you all. was hosted by Olivia Hoffman, Neha Mehta, and Arushi Mehta. The outro music was written and produced by Lee Rosevier. Thank you. And see you next time. <laughs>